0: It's been a very difficult week to believe that real, lasting change in this world, in our lives, in our communities is actually possible. After 10 years of war in Afghanistan and Iraq, we find ourselves back there again, facing another group hell-bent not only on our destruction, but the destruction of anyone who doesn't see the world as they see the world Then right here at home this past week, old wounds were ripped open in Ferguson, Missouri as police and citizens clashed following the shooting death of an 18-year-old boy. We might have thought we were past all this, but it appears we are not. Just laws matter, but they are never enough. On Twitter this week, two images of white cops in riot gear staring down African-American protesters were put side by side, one from Ferguson and one from Selma a half a century ago, both asking the silent question together, has anything really changed? It's been a difficult week to believe, difficult year for that matter, to believe in the possibility of true lasting change in ourselves and our communities and in our world, especially when we witness people finding new ways to fight old battles that never seem to end. When the religious leaders confronted Jesus and his followers about their loose observance of the kosher laws, there was likely tension in the air. It wasn't a riot, but there was energy in the room. The disciples' behavior was not up to the standards that the scribes and Pharisees taught the people. And with the crowds watching everything Jesus said and did, they demanded to know why Jesus didn't seem to care about his disciples' observance of the law. Ironically, like any two sides in a conflict, the religious leaders and the disciples of Jesus both wanted the same thing. They both wanted to feel safe and secure. In a tense and trying time, they wanted to figure out how they could best secure their future and the future of those they loved, and at the same time ensure that God was on their side. The scribes and the Pharisees, as you know, put their trust in the law, believing that its strict observance would give them security and peace and make them right before God. The disciples, however, placed their hope in their proximity to Jesus believing that as long as they walked in his ways or walked in his footsteps or stayed near to him, their way forward would be secure. My father-in-law is a cardiologist, and during his last visit, we had one of our recurring conversations about cardiology. As you may know, heart disease is still the number one killer for men and women in this nation. Despite all the great advances in heroic treatments like open heart surgery and angioplasties, one out of every four deaths in this country is still caused by a sickness of the heart. This is one of the reasons, my father in law explains, that there is a slow but steady shift taking place among cardiologists. Instead of focusing on the end game, more and more docs are talking about the importance and the necessity of preventative care. You know this. Which makes sense, really, especially for heart disease, which is actually in many ways preventable. An ounce of prevention really is worth a pound of cure when you're talking about the health of your heart. It's not sexy or expensive, but if we simply watched what we put into our bodies, exercised a little more frequently, and managed our stress a little better, heart disease wouldn't stand much of a chance. Well, in today's passage, Jesus is a doctor practicing practicing some preventative care. He's a doc, and his waiting room is full of sick people who refuse to accept that their hearts are sick and in need of healing. Both the religious leaders and his disciples are stuck in their heads trying to figure things out when Jesus wants them to be in their hearts. Instead of accepting that faith is primarily a matter of the heart, they are both looking for other ways to improve their situation. Instead of looking inward, they keep focusing on outward behavior, ignoring their inner being, that, that place that we're told. Did you, did you hear that list of things that come from our heart? Murder, adultery, fornification, theft, false witness, slander. It's an awful list, and it all starts right here. In Hebrew psychology, the heart is literally the human center, the home of personal feeling, willing, and thinking. It's that place deep within us that we spend so little time nurturing, that place, that engine that drives everything we choose to do. This week, despite all the difficult news, what struck me most was the response I witnessed to Robin Williams' untimely death. Now Mr. Williams has long been one of my favorite actors, but I didn't realize just how many people felt a connection to him over the course of his career. I was surprised at the intensity of the response to his death on social media and the news, in part because there was something painful about watching Robin Williams act. I don't mean he was a bad actor, but it was sometimes hard to watch him. He was so raw and so open. His characters were often on edge and a bit unpolished. And he played every single role with the same vulnerability that was terribly unnerving. It was as if his heart was wide open for the whole world to see. But as I thought more about his life and our nation's response to his death, and the words that Jesus said in today's passage, I started to wonder if it was his openness, his vulnerability, that enabled him to transform a blue genie, a professor, an alien named Mork, a psychologist, a school teacher, a DJ, good morning Vietnam, a doctor, and countless other characters into healers of our broken hearts. I have watched a lot of Robin Williams movies. I've watched good ones, and I've watched really, really bad ones. And there are many really bad ones. But strangely, I feel the same way after every single one. I feel warmer here in my heart. I hope you realize that when Eric and I are preaching to you week after week, we're also preaching to ourselves. We aren't that sophisticated, really, at the core (laughs) The longer I'm engaged in my own journey of discipleship, the longer, like you, I try to figure out what it means to follow Jesus Christ in the world, the more amazed I am at the lengths we go to ignore the obvious fact that faith, this journey we are all on, is a matter of our heart. The amount amount of energy we expend collectively, avoiding the inner work, The amount of energy we focus on living right and working hard and looking good and being smart and achieving success, the amount of time we spend on those things and not our heart is staggering to me. Instead of looking within, we live as if there is some key that we can acquire or find that will unlock the door to a brighter future. Post-enlightenment, we want to believe there is some secret knowledge or, or practice that is the source of joy and peace. That if we find the right balance of self-care and generosity and protection and personal pleasure, then all will be well. And yet, all is not well. In today's passage, Jesus dismantles any illusion that a just and peaceful world relies on right thinking or practice. He deconstructs any notion that the abundant life that God promises us is contingent upon our compliance, or understanding of certain codes or regulations. Faith, he teaches us, is a matter of opening our hearts to God's healing touch. After performing a mass at Central Juvenile Hall in Los Angeles, Father Gregory Boyle spotted a familiar face in the back. It was a kid named Omar, about 17, who had been in and out of correctional facilities his entire teenage life. As Father Boyle cleaned up after the mass, Omar waved his hand and beckoned him to come back and visit with him in his unit. So Father Boyle did. After about a half an hour of a small talk, Father Boyle eyed the clock on the wall and told Omar, told Omar that he had to go. Why so fast, G? he asked. I'm sorry, Omar, I have an anniversary mass at the cemetery for a homie I buried a year ago. I'm sorry, but I have to go. Omar stayed seated and looked uncharacteristically pensive for a gangbanger. Hey, G, he said. Can I ask you a question? Sure, Moho, anything. How many homies you buried? You know, killed because of gangbanging. 75, 80? Damn, gee, 75 or 80? He shook his head in disbelief. I mean, when's it going to end? At that question, Father Boyle reached his hands and and took one of Omar's hands in his own and looked Omar in the eye and said, "Uh, Miho, it will end the minute you decide. At that, Omar cried, which Omar didn't do. And he took a deep breath and took his other hand and put it around Father Boyle's hands and said, well then, I decide. Change, real lasting change awaits us all. What is decisive is our deciding to let God in. Left untended by God's healing touch, our hearts will drive us to do whatever it takes to feel safe and secure. When our hearts are sick, or lonely, or broken, or empty, we can justify all kinds of violence towards ourselves and towards others. Left on their own, our hearts will harden and grow cold as they seek to protect us from every little thing that might cause us pain. The men and women of ISIS, that group doing awful things in Iraq, the cops and the rioters in Ferguson, Missouri that difficult person at work or at school, and that family member who has the gift of getting underneath your skin. They aren't all that different from you. They want the same things you want. Their hearts are hurting just like yours. There's an old Jewish story about a student who was studying the Torah One day he came across Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, which reads, And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. Curious, the student asked his rabbi, Why is it said that way, teacher? Why are we told to put these words on our heart instead of in our heart? The wise rabbi responded, it is not within our power to place divi- divine teachings directly into our hearts. All we can do is place them on our hearts. Then when the heart breaks, they will fall right on in. Faith is a matter of the heart. In your heart, our hearts, will begin to heal when we open them up. Living well, doing right being good, putting all these things first is absolutely foolish if we haven't first opened up our hearts to others and to God. The problems that plague our world, ethnic violence, religious intolerance, systemic poverty, will not be solved with more information or a renewed commitment to good behavior. The problems that face our families, bitterness, Misunderstanding, alienation will not be solved by everyone in that family committing to being more in the right. The problems that overwhelm us as individuals from time to time, shame and loss and confusion, will not be solved by the sheer force of our will. All of these problems are simply symptoms of a heart in need of healing. What the world needs, what our family needs, what our church needs, what you need, what I need, is to open our hearts to let God in. Amen.